The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the individuals involved, and do not necessarily represent those of NOCO Media Limited, its employees, sponsors, or affiliates. Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different. Different. This is NOCO FM. Oftentimes in our lives, something will happen and our lives are never the same. There seems to be a before life and then the incident and then our life afterwards, which is forever changed. This is what Elena Manis writes about in her new book, Soul Dog, where she has an amazing spiritual connection with her beloved dog, Brio. We'll be talking with Elena Manis from her home in New York. Elena is a multi-award winning independent documentary director, writer, producer, as well as the author of her first book, The Power of Music, Pioneering Discoveries in the New Science of Song. Elena's past life included her appearance on both public and commercial television, and her honors include six National Emmys, a George Foster Peabody Award, and two Directors Guild of America Awards. Mattis Productions includes the feature documentary film Amazing Grace with Bill Moyers on PBS and won the Directors Guild Award. She has also directed, produced, and written numerous hour-length documentaries for network television. For ABC, she produced a special with Diane Sawyer, The Amazing Animal Mind, exploring the intelligence and emotions of dogs and other animals. She has also produced and directed documentaries for CBS Reports and segments for 60 Minutes and Primetime Live on ABC. An amazing woman with an amazing career who had her life turned around when she was able to communicate via an animal communicator with her dog Brio, which took her into an absolutely new spiritual and transformational realm in her life. Join me as we talk about her new book, Soul Dog. This is The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. So I'm so thrilled to be here with Elena Manis, and we're going to be talking today about your new book, Soul Dog, being released November 13th, which chronicles your very profound and life-transforming relationship with your dog, Brio. Was indeed life-transforming. I'm so excited to hear about it. You've just had this amazingly successful career, winning six Emmys and many other national awards for your documentaries. You've built a career in television and journalism. You've lived as a reporter and a life that was really bound by reason and facts and sounds like this took you to a whole different level in your life it certainly did i mean i would say that i'm the last person i ever thought would write a book like this about a journey into the world of the paranormal and animal psychics and mediums and afterlife so it was a very surprising journey to me but i was a pretty successful television producer and a type A personality, and as you said, driven by proven fact, by the standards of Western science and empirical evidence. And I came to sort of a midlife crisis, I guess one would say. Uh, I had a near-fatal car crash and on a film shoot, and a relationship had broken up. And so I was thinking, you know, there must be more. You know, I want something more in my life. And I thought, well, I'd always loved animals. Thought 
I'll get a dog, you know, the, that unconditional love that everybody talks about and comfort. Dog would be there for my pleasure, you know, to console me. So I decided to get a standard poodle puppy. So things did not go quite according to plan in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened in the beginning? Well, the puppy, Rio. As I named him, which stands for energy. It's a musical term, Italian, which suited him very well. He had great energy and a very independent mind, and he certainly did not always listen to me. And we had, you know, by my standards, several mishaps, many mishaps. I once fell over backwards into a boat pond in New York City's Central Park. So I was walking backwards, calling him, trying to get him to come to me. He would just run off. So I was desperately calling, walking backwards, and stepped over the edge and there was nothing beneath my feet too deep so i clambered out but it was sort of a metaphor for the edge that i would step over in my efforts to communicate better with riel and really develop a deep connection with him well talk a little bit about that so so you had this very different life before brio kind of had these midlife as you said crisis happening with a car wreck and a broken relationship what were then the things that, how did your relationship with Brio develop? How did you begin communicating better with Brio? You know, I had thought that it would be kind of a master commander relationship. He would just do what I said, which, as I said, was not turning out to be the case. And I had trainers, regular dog trainers, which helped. They did help, but I still didn't feel that I was really connecting to him. I thought that he loved me, and I didn't really feel that great bond that people talk about having with their dogs. So kind of, I told myself, at least, that it was out of curiosity initially. I researched, because that's what I do, you know, I report stories all the time. So I found an animal communicator, animal psychic, who happened to be in California, and decided I would just call her up and see what would happen if I asked her to give me a reading for Brio. I didn't tell her anything about me or him, just his breed and his name. And she agreed to the readings. That was by phone. She didn't know anything. I didn't tell her anything. And she gave this amazingly accurate report, which really seemed to be from his point of view, with a lot of details that she couldn't have known, like my apartment, describing it from his point of view, how he figured out a way to get around the furniture. It was sort of a small apartment, crowded, and she described streets in my neighborhood quite accurately, the ones he liked and the ones he didn't like, according to her. And things like that that really validated that she actually was somehow getting something from him. You know, I had no idea how this could possibly be happening, um, but I had to it certainly put it my curiosity further. So after that, I began to consult some other animal communicators, and then I actually persuaded ABC News to let me do a documentary about animal intelligence and emotions. And part of it, I sort of worked in animal telepathy and animal communicators, and we shot a sequence with uh, Diane Sawyer, whom I was working. She was the correspondent for that story. We um, had Samantha Curry, the psychic that I had first had Rio, read Diane's dog. And again, it was really quite accurate. I'm not sure what Diane felt completely, but the psychic did say that her dog had a traumatic experience as a puppy, that he had some memory of spinning. And uh, apparently he had indeed fallen into a swimming pool when he was a puppy. And again, um, the description of this dog's home and the yard and the surroundings where he went were completely accurate. And we videotaped it. And, you know, you can see the video against the reading of the psychic. It's pretty spot on. And when you get that kind of evidence, you can't ignore it anymore. No, you can't. That's the thing. I mean, and, you know, I don't think. I don't think anybody can truly believe this stuff unless you experience it yourself. 
I mean, I, I write about it and I treat people enough to get them to explore further. But I think the personal experience is really important because, especially in the beginning, when I mean, if you come at it not really being a believer, it, it really is quite astounding. Well, it seems like we're learning so much now through how science, quantum physics, these different things and spirituality even are merging so that, you know, now no longer the metaphysical is actually becoming a, more of a natural state of being, more of an accepted reality. Absolutely true. I mean, I think there's still a lot of skeptics out there, but there are more and more people, many of whom don't readily admit to it, maybe. But I really believe there's a great deal of interest. And the more one talks about it, and as I talk about it more with dog other dog people. And now that my book's coming out, of course, I'm totally out of the closet. So, you know, you find you do find other people who are believers or at least very interested. Yes. And like you said, once you have a direct experience with this, you're in the belief. You, you can no longer it's, deny I, this. I mean, it took me a while, I mean, I, but I kept going. I mean, I did another story for ABC, actually, about I got a, a different animal communicator to go to uh, try to read a horse that was racing in the Belmont Stakes, you know, the third leg of the Triple Crown. And it was the year, um, some years ago, the year the War Emblem, who was sort of a famous horse, was supposed to win the Triple Crown, win the Belmont in the Triple Crown. And so I tried and tried to get a trainer of any horse entered to let this psychic do a reading. And the only trainer who would agree was the trainer of the longest shot of all, a 70 to 1 shot, um, which is the longest odds in Belmont Stakes history. But he agreed, so the psychic read this horse, and there was a lot of silence, you know, like, oh, what am I going to do with this story? Finally, she said the horse's name was Saraba, and Dawn, the psychic, said, he says he's going to win. Well, everybody's jaw kind of dropped, including the trainers. The trainer asked, well, why does he think he's going to win? <laughs> so Dawn, she had total confidence. She just said, um, he's sure he's going to win. He wants to do it for his trainer and his owner. So anyway, we finished, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a total disaster. So the next day was the race, so I'm watching the race, and Sarava was way behind until a far turn, I think it was. The announcer paid almost no attention to him. All of a sudden, the announcer was saying, Sarava is gaining speed. And Sarava, the big long shot, is running in for it. Sunday break is fifth. Magic Wisner beginning to move up now on the outside. He's seven lengths from the lead. And War Emblem is toiling as they turn for home. Medallia Doro, Sunday break. Sarava has come on through to take the lead. And War Emblem has given way. No triple crown for the 24th year. Here comes Sarava and Medallia Doro. They're striding to the line together. Sarava on the outside. Medallia Doro toward the rail. They're coming down to the finish. A huge upset is looming here under the line. Sarava has won the biggest long shot in the history of the Belmont Stakes at 70 to 1. Medallia Doro was finishing second there. And farther back, Sunday break. And a huge disappointment today for War Emblem. He was off poorly, never got rolling, and faded in the stretch. So once again, the Triple Crown will go unclaimed, but a worthy winner today in Sarava. Eventually, to make a long story short, he took over at Lee, beating War Emblem, and of course everybody else. And, you know, everybody was completely shocked. Even, I mean, Dawn had been sure, but she said, you know, she was actually crying because she was feeling what the horse felt, that, you know, he was proud and that he had really done this for his owner and his trainer. So, I mean, that was... <laughs> An eye-opener, for sure. 
Wow. I mean, I have chills through my entire body listening to that. Uh, how exciting. Yeah. Would you be willing to share a couple stories from the book, a couple examples of these animal communicators and what you found out? Sure. Well, I mean, the, the first one that maybe comes to mind with Rio had a big health crisis. He collapsed on the street one day and he was around eight and couldn't walk. And after many, many tests from Western vets, you know, which I, I certainly would never not go to a regular veterinarian. I believe in that. But um, anyway, they finally diagnosed him with this neurological disorder and said he'd never really walk normally again. Of course, I was devastated. So finally, I thought, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to try some communicator. And then a friend recommended one who did long, long distance energy healing. So a um, woman, again, got on the phone. She was in Colorado. Bria and I were in New York. We'd never met. She didn't know anything. So after some time with this reading, she said that she had readjusted his energy somehow. Contrary to what the neurologists had said, there was nothing wrong with his spine and that he was going to be okay. He was going to walk again and even run. And indeed he did. We had several more wonderful years of pretty normal life together. So again, that was another piece of validation. There really was something going on. And while I was still living, I mean, there were other readings when Brio, according to the psychics, told me things about myself or my life that they really couldn't have known by any other means. And I, I, I would argue with myself, said, well, maybe they're reading my mind, but there were instances in which even whatever they were coming up with was not in my mind at the present when we were talking. So... And it really did seem to be from Rio's point of view often. And frankly, the in some ways, that the amazing nature of these messages, so to speak, from Rio even increased after he physically died, believe it or not. Yeah, um, I'm really curious about that. Even more, even more startling, like the psychics would describe where he was in my house, in the details of my where I was sitting, the room, like the trim on the floor, the color of the walls, where the furniture was placed, where the windows were. And they'd never been in my house. They had idea you know um that was pretty amazing and uh, right after brio passed away several of them also described in great minute detail from brio supposedly what i had been doing for example when i went to the beach to scatter some of his ashes where i sat to do that so there were many many instances like that <laughs> absolutely i mean it's so fascinating and i'm i'm wondering about in the telepathy did you have telepathic connections with brio when brio was alive well not directly but certainly through the communicators and i i mean i certainly developed a very profound connection with them and but i wouldn't exactly call it telepathic I and mean, i certainly felt and felt i knew often what he was thinking or feeling but when i call it telepathy in the sense that a professional animal communicator can do it no okay but i've had even more maybe now sometimes like in meditation i feel his presence somehow so I mean, that's getting closer to it thing. well and what's so exciting about this is this inner species like you're saying that this direct connection with animals and so it's not just with dogs it's with all different kinds of animals well, it is. And I did quite a lot of research looking at other people's experience uh, with the interspecies communication, also scientific research about that. And, you know, there's a lot of fascinating science now about the intelligence, cognitive abilities, emotions of dogs and other animals, cats, whales, dolphins, you know, chimp. There's a great deal of research out there about that. And there's some research about telepathy itself. There's a scientist in England, Rupert Sheldrake, who's trained at Cambridge as a biologist who 
was really doing cutting-edge studies of animal telepathy, and he believes that there are invisible fields connecting bonded beings, so to speak, which could be members of a group of an animal and homing pigeons, for example. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake believes that there are invisible fields tying members of bonded um, beings or creatures, so to speak, who are bonded together, whether it's, whether it's a group of homing pigeons or a dog who um, knows how to find his way home, you know, when it seems impossible. He did a um, really fascinating study that's gotten a lot of publicity about how there are dogs and cats, too, I believe, who seem to know when their owner is headed home, even though it's over a long distance and there's no even if they come at random times. So Sheldrake believes that non-human animals have even stronger telepathic abilities than we humans do, that we're wired for it and born with it, but we've allowed so many other distractions in this world to get in the way that, you know, we've lost a lot of that ability, and sometimes we get it back. I mean, some people obviously have it very strongly with Well, yes, you know, and I, I interviewed Steve Behrman about his book, Spontaneous Evolution, that he wrote with Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a biologist. And they actually spoke about that study you were talking about, where they actually had recorded dogs in their homes. And then when they would get a text or a signal from the dog, so that dog's person, that they were headed home. And sometimes even before they sent that message, the dog would go to the door and be ready and know the person was coming home even That's before it. the person started home and at random times you know so i mean it was fascinating yeah i mean he got some criticism for it but he really defended himself very well in my opinion you know i won't go into all the details but obviously there are a lot of skeptics out there who kind of look for loopholes and all that so you know but it's for people who are skeptics read his books look at it i mean it's um see what you think I think it's really worth doing that. Definitely worth investigating. You know, I do know my stepbrother was in Fiji when the tsunami happened and talked about all the animals before anyone knew what was going on were heading up ground. You know, they already had yeah. an awareness. I've heard that too. I mean, I've experienced it. I mean, Rio and now my dog that I have now, I mean, if there's a storm when we're headed in the country, you know, I can tell that they sense this change in the atmosphere, the air. I clearly see that. And I, I was in New York City on 9-11, actually, with, with Rio. And I mean, it was horrifying, of course. And afterwards, even a distance from the event, it was this awful smell and the energy of the people around was so changed. And Rio would not go out of the building. I mean, he lost to speak and was clearly saying we're not going out there. Yeah. So I think I mean they have incredible sensory abilities and extra sensory abilities, I would say. So this became such a deeply spiritual journey for you, which obviously it sounds like took you outside of your original comfort zone, transcended space and time. What do you think are the biggest lessons you received from this journey? Well I think especially after Rio physically passed, which was, of course, very difficult for me. But the fact that I really still felt this connection and I was getting these amazingly accurate reports somewhat from him was really, it had to make me really know and understand that there was a dimension that we can't sense with our five senses and that it was possible to, well, first of all, the, the, so, the spirit, if you will, or the soul, whatever you want to call it, does endure consciousness, endures after physical death. I and mean, that was the biggest gift or lesson, if you want to call it, that I could have had from my journey with Bria. So once you acknowledge that and accept it, your life is different. can't say that, you know, I'm still human, I have my lapses, but I always try to come back to 
that belief and really try to look at things from a, a different perspective from what I know now through the, this relationship with Rio, which continues past death, past space and time. And such an important thing, because I think, you know, I've, I'm a psychotherapist. I've been in the mental health field for 30 years. So I've heard so many stories of people saying that a relative or, you know, someone that had passed has come back and revisited them. I mean, I've, I've heard these stories over and over again. So I, I haven't heard as many with animals, although I've always believed animals have a soul as well. I actually remember probably 20 years ago being told in a dream, anything with eyes has a soul. And I, I couldn't eat meat for a really long time after that. Yeah, I kind of wish I were a vegetarian, right? But I'm not quite yet working up to it. But yeah, I had one experience in which I mean, I've never actually seen, quote unquote, Rio after he's passed physically, but I had one experience where I heard something that I really kind of knew inside that it was the sound of his tag as I was driving, and he was right in the back seat, and I was merging and onto a highway and didn't see until it was too late. But this huge trailer truck was coming up on my side, and I was about to hit it. So right before I would have hit it, there was this jingling. It sounded like Rio's tags from the backseat. So I looked around, saw the truck, and was able to avoid it. And I really believe that was Rio. I mean, there was nothing else that could have made that north. So, and I met other people, you know, someone who's a well-known documentary filmmaker who led a blood dog, and uh, after he passed, we'd hear him barking in the night. Um, this is not, you know, a woo-woo crazy person, you know. Either are you. You know, right, and I think so that's important to state. Yeah. People. I'm not alone out there. I think I read a book about it, actually. They call it AD, ABC After Death Communication. And it is apparently quite common people experience that. Well, I think it's so, this is such an important message because I know that one of the things that I've had to work with with several of my clients is the grief over the loss of a pet. And sometimes it's months or even years that it takes to get over losing this beloved family member. And that's a question I get a lot of times. I really want to believe that that they're also still living in some other realm. I will definitely give them your book. And and I think it's it's so soothing. And if I may share with you, when my daughter was four years old, I had my first experience into knowing that she's going to be 30 in two weeks. And I had my first experience until that this isn't all there is. So my aunt that I just adored, 46 years old, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And my mother had told me, and this was back in the day where you had the huge cellular phone with the big, you know, antenna, and I was actually talking in the bathtub. And mom told me, and so I was crying. And my little daughter, who ironically, I have to share this with you, her name is Acacia, which is the Greek word for immortality. And like the tree of life is the acacia tree. So didn't pick that name for any particular reason besides I thought it was beautiful. But it's interesting in this and that she came in and she sat on the tub, the side of the tub. And she said, Mommy, why are you crying? And I said, oh, honey, I just mama's just feeling sad. And I just I just don't ever want anyone to die. And this was so strange. She sat down on the side of the tub and she looked at me and she said, well, Mommy, we never die. And even though we didn't go to church, thought, okay, she, you know, she's thinking heaven. I said, oh, okay, yes, we, we go to heaven. And she kind of looks like, looks at me like I'm silly and shakes her head. And she said, you know, mama, she said, no, there's no heaven. She said, but when I was up in the sky with God, she said, I was a light. Now here's the really interesting point, the interesting part. She says, do you remember your other mother, Dorothy, which was my grandmother? 
who had died when I was 13, who it was such an interesting phrasing, your other mother, Dorothy. And she never, I got the chills now on thinking about it because she never would have known this woman's name because my grandfather married the year after and grandma seal was all she knew. So she says to me, do you remember your other mother, Dorothy? And I said, yes. She said, well, her light was up in the sky with my light and God put some of her light with me and I got to come down and be your daughter. Oh my God. Yeah. Huh? And, and I, I called my mother and it was my mom's mother and we both just cried on the phone together. And, you know, for me, that was just it. And it really was a profound shift in my journey in that I, I no longer, I wasn't afraid of death. I don't want to die, but I was no longer afraid of it because I really realized in that moment. And I think quantum physics also teaches us that, you know, energy is never, it's, it's not born. It's, it doesn't die. It just transforms and, and changes shape. Exactly. I'm no physicist, but I certainly refer to that in my book too, as also validating. but I'm so glad you shared that story. I mean, it's, that's really, really validating so moving you know remember that thank you i just because i i resonated so much with your book and knowing that even though i haven't had an experience with an animal that that there is more than this it is I mean, it's it's really beautiful i mean it's the center of my life in in many ways i know that to many people it's going to sound very bizarre and weird but i don't believe it is <laughs> i don't believe it is either and, and so, you know, when you talk about this phenomenal spiritual journey with Brio, what, what do you feel like is the essential message that you want readers to walk away with after reading this book? Well, I think two and one on a more earthly level, that um, physically in this world, that our fellow animals, fellow creatures are not our inferiors. They're unique, feeling, thinking, spiritual beings that do have souls, and they should be respected and treated like we, we should recognize them respect much more than we do. But on a more spiritual level, as I said, I think to really understand that consciousness endures and spirit, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's almost, I almost don't like giving names to this, but for lack of, well, we have to give names when we're talking about it, that that does endure as your story so beautifully illustrates that we don't die in that sense that I mean, we're not just our physical bodies and that we are light, we are souls, we are spirit, and that goes on. Here's something you might not know. NOCO FM is also a podcast network producing one-of-a-kind programming like the show you're enjoying right now. We have talk shows, original comedy, music shows curated by real people, and a lot more. So if you like what you're hearing, make NOCO FM a part of your day and tell your friends. Remember, that's www.noco.fm. I'm Kev Cat, and I host No Co Gadio, the weekly hour-long show dedicated to spotlighting musicians within the LGBTQIA community. You can listen to the show every Friday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at NoCo FM. That's N-O-C-O dot F-M.
How do you think that will change people's relationships with animals once they have that awareness? Well, I hope and think that it would completely alter how they look at animals and try to communicate with them. I mean, it certainly has with me. I mean, I have another dog now who is a very different personality and spirit than Brielle. I love him, but he's not an old soul. He's a young soul, but he very much has a soul. He's his own unique self, and it changes how I look at every animal. It also breaks my heart even more when I see animals abused or having to be put to death. I mean, it's, it certainly increases the compassion and the grief for what many animals go through because of human misunderstanding and abuse. Yes. So hopefully this book, too, can connect with people and help raise that awareness. That is my, my hope, really. Hopefully I never abused an animal, but I would think that once we recognize who they really are, it becomes really impossible to abuse an animal, at least consciously or purposefully. Right. It's a soul, just like a human soul. It's just in a different form. Right. So many people wouldn't abuse a human being, but they would hit their dog. Exactly. And, I, you know, I, I, you know, not being a complete vegetarian myself, it's not that I'm saying to everybody that you have to immediately become a vegan or a vegetarian, because I haven't. I wish that I had and think that maybe I will. But I do think humans are evolving and that there will come a point, I trust and hope, when culture is so changed that my People won't eat meat anymore, or and at least will respect to a much greater degree how we treat the animals we do use for food. I mean, it's just shocking you now the way big agriculture treats animals and raises them. I mean, I, at least I try to do that, not to be careful and knowledgeable about what I'm eating. If I do eat an animal, where it's raised, how it's raised, those are all areas where we all can you know, take steps. Well, it, yeah, so it's raising our consciousness around that. Right. So in this journey, you're, you're so connected with television and other journalists. Have you gotten pushback around this or, or what has that been like for you? Well, yes, especially recently. I mean, I frankly am not until the last few months of starting to publicize the book. I did not talk about it really at all in a professional context because I knew that there would be pushback and damaging. But I'm at a point in my career where... I have less to lose than I once did, and this is very important to me. So, you know, this is what I want to do, and people don't want to accept it, so be it. But I think that maybe it scares people on some, at some level, I'm not sure, why some people are very, you know, up in arms, or it seems almost like fear to me. I'm not sure why. But. Yeah, and I think sometimes people think, oh, this is going to contradict some doctrine or something like that, and I don't think it does. I actually think it validates it, so to speak. Right. It, we don't have to call it quote unquote heaven, but it's something that continues. And so I think it's broadening people's awareness or definition of what that is. This doesn't go against some dogma. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, it's, you know, there is no dogma to it, I don't believe. But, well, some people certainly feel it threatens their dogma. I mean, maybe it threatens an organized religious dogma or whatever, or if they're an atheist, it threatens that. But as we've talked about, I mean, there are certain things that you just can't ignore when you have direct experience of it. You know, and I've heard so many of these stories from people in my office that have contacted different psychics, and it's been about humans, but it's the same concept where they identify specific things in the person's home, specific things that there's no way in the world that this person over the phone could possibly know or possibly see. Well, that's just it. And I went every which way at the beginning, like playing the devil's advocate. I mean, I would push them. I wouldn't tell them anything. 
you know, I would refuse, even when I asked questions, I would refuse to tell them. And many of them got very annoyed with me, with psychics, because I, I was not playing fair by their standards in a lot of ways. But it, when they did give such accurate readings, then I could believe it more if I hadn't told them anything. I'm glad I did that. But I, I really um, came out of not accepting it easily. As I said, wondering if they were reading my mind, even if you accept that they were reading something. <laughs> right. And they were obviously, and, and that's what we keep, you know, through a lot of the guests that I've spoken with and a lot of things that, that I'm understanding, the more that I begin to understand quantum physics is when things are vibrating at a certain level, people really can tap into that energy. It's clearly what they do. And I totally believe that now. I mean, this is, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Once you experience it, you, have, you believe it. You have to. There's no way around it. I commend you so much for being willing to put yourself out there and write this book and bring this to more social conscious awareness for more people to be able to share this experience with you and Brio. Well, I'm, you know, I'm sounds silly to say it was my pleasure, but I, I really felt I had to do it. I mean, to honor Brio and what he brought to my life, you know, what other animals can bring to other people's lives. It's so important. I mean, I think many people connect to their dogs or other companion animals, so to speak. I hate the word pet so I don't like to use that. But I don't think everybody really wants to pursue the connection maybe to the level that I did initially out of my frustration, granted. But it's so worthwhile when you do, when you really make efforts to listen to the animal you live with, know, and really go deeper. How would so, you tell someone to search that out to make sure that it was someone that was a more legitimate animal communicator like you found and not someone? What are some of the maybe things to look for? Well, I certainly went online, you know, Google, and read about the person, see who they worked with, testimonials, certainly. Um, some of the people I found through word of mouth. Once I had started the whole thing, it was mostly by word of mouth. I would talk to other people about the subject, say, who do you use, who's good, who you talk to, you know, and get, you know, their information about how valid and accurate the readings they got from this person were before I launched into it. Even now, I mean, I wouldn't just randomly go to some animal communicator that I found online without studying it or getting recommendations. Because people are human, I mean, there's fraud out there. Not fraud, but, you know, maybe there is fraud, but even people who sort of skate by easily don't really do the real thing. But once you've experienced, you know, a lot of communicators, you really feel you know the real thing when you're hearing it. Yes. Somebody who's like really talented. Yes. So to, to invite people to really do the research around it and figure that out. And then what, what would you tell someone who's having a difficult time grieving the loss of their pet? Well, certainly grieve. I mean, you can't get away from the grief. I mean, I felt the grief. I mean, there are times when I still feel it. I miss him. You know, I miss him physically. So I don't think it's right to deny that, to try to push it away and say, yeah, I don't feel that. You do feel it. But it's such a, it's so wonderful to know that his spirit is there, that it hasn't died. Would I like to know what he's doing every second? Would I like to see him? Of course, you know, but that's a very human, earthly perspective. So I think it's helpful to be quiet in oneself. And that's when I most connect with Brio now. And I'm meditating, not forcing anything, and just feel his presence when it comes. And it's not that it's there all the time, but instead of kind of reach and grab for it, expect it, and just let it come when it's going to come. You're just open to it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I often do think or feel that 
you know, once you start this journey or you're open to it, that you sort of you have to follow it. You can't turn around and go back and stop. It just keeps showing up. Right. And so that's what is so beautiful. Rio does just as you are open is just there and just shows up for you. Yes. And I was doing another interview the other day after we finished the post said, I really felt Rio's presence very strongly with you, which was touching. Probably was there. Yes. So, I mean, this has obviously changed your life in these huge ways. Huge, huge. I mean, it's almost impossible to say how huge. I mean, the remnants of my previous self in life, for sure. You know, I'm not sitting in an ashram, but um, inwardly, it's changed me so much. So, Has it changed yeah, how you I, relate to humans as well? Yeah, I think certainly to some degree. I think sometimes it's harder to reach that pure connection, human to human. Not always, but because, I mean, we humans put more stuff in between us and the source, so to speak, you know, so all that human stuff can create static and get in the way, you know, which it doesn't so much with animals. You know, that's the beauty of them. I mean, I, yeah, I've always loved animals. I mean, I always connected more to animals in a way when I was a child than to people. You know, they were always my comfort in some way, but certainly nothing like this connection with Rio. So moving forward with your new dog, do you use the animal communicators with your new dog? I have sometimes for something I don't understand about what he's doing. and I want to know why he's behaving in a certain way or if he seems sick, what's going on. Um, I have a cat also who has a chronic condition, so it helps to check in with communicators. You know, you kind of find the ones who especially strongly connect to a particular animal. So in moments of crisis or concern, it really helps to check in and see what's going on. Some of the communicators have especially are especially skilled at feeling the animal physically, so they can say he feels something in the stomach or whatever. So that can even be a guide to go see the vet if the communicator's picking them up on pain or something that isn't immediately evident. So I use it that way. And I do want to know what Bravo, my current dog, is thinking and feeling. So this is just such an exciting level of awareness for people. And I just, I am so thankful that you wrote this book. I'm so thankful that you're sharing this book. And I appreciate so deeply this this interview to share this as well. Well, it's, it's wonderful for me to share it. It truly is. I mean, I'm finding and doing interviews like yours and it really, it's wonderful. I mean, it's more validation. I'm not alone out there. People appreciate the message. And um, so I thank you. Thank you so much. Such a joy to meet you. And I'm ordering you the too. book. Right. Well, thank you. This has been a pleasure. My interview with Elena Manis was absolutely fascinating, mind-blowing, and takes us to increase our ability to understand and believe things that are beyond our physical reality. Listening to her journey and understanding that she was a journalist who only looked for facts. That was, that's what she did. She was a research journalist. To come from that kind of orientation to where she, through direct experience, expanded her awareness and consciousness to really delve into this other realm that so many of us are never privy to. And obviously it's something that completely changed her life. And her hope is that it will also help bring awareness and consciousness and change many others' lives as they begin to understand this connection that we truly have to animals and to the very depths of their souls. 
and how we can truly have these inner species connections and communications. We can't always experience these things with our five senses. Through meditation and mindfulness, we can start to tap into a little bit more of what some people may call our sixth sense or a different realm of understanding. From this place, it sounds like when she is communicating with these animal communicators, they are able to get information that is not apparent to our five senses. So whether you're a believer or not, this is something worth exploring. There's so much research out there about it. Quantum physics is really guiding us to be able to understand that we don't just exist on this realm. And so many of the things that Einstein was talking about so long ago, understanding his theories on time, understanding his theories on physics, that we aren't just existing in this realm that we can see and touch. So it's very interesting to take it to this new level. It's amazing to think about and exciting to really explore that realm that this isn't all there is, that our souls or spirits continue. And regardless of our beliefs, I think this helps give us the perspective that while we're here on this earth with respect and love towards each other and towards the animals in our lives, we can all live a much more harmonious life with one another. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.